he all of a sudden realized that the bank door could only be locked from the outside. And this was a miss in the training. And as he was like loading everybody in and he realized this, he left himself out on the outside and he locked the door, uh, put everybody in like this, the safe spot for the bank. And he went and found an air vent, a larger air vent he was able to get his body into. And he said about half his body was out. And uh, the trainer came right over top, leveled the bank, actually ended up taking the safe and rolled the safe a few times, but everybody was fine inside. My and God. he, uh, he just remembers like hanging, like he somehow found some handholds inside this vent. And uh, it felt like he said he's like, his legs were up. It felt like a vacuum was trying to suck him out. And of course, like the roar of this tornado, but he got everybody to safety and he made that split second decision that, um, and he didn't know if he was going to find that air vent. Like right. he just, Everybody else came first, yeah. and he was sorted out after, and he had less than seconds to find that, and just, um, that's badass. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. In the United States, there are about 15.2 million hunters. That's how many hunting licenses we sell in the country. And they spend around $21 billion per year, which breaks down to an average of $2,800 per hunter. Now, we need to be really smart about how we spend that money. You can't spend it on stuff that's going to break. Otherwise, you have to buy something else again, and you end up costing yourself even more. We also need to be smart about how much weight we carry in our packs because that's a serious limiting factor. One way to remove about five pounds out of your pack without sacrificing your ability to find animals is to get rid of your spotting scope and tripod. Now there's a time and a place for those things and I carry both of them a lot, but if I need to go lightweight, I'm going to carry stabilized binoculars and the best stabilized binoculars I have ever used are from Sig Sauer. They are the Zulu 6, and they just came out with a new pair called the Zulu 6 HDX. I use the 12 power magnification model. They weigh 21.5 ounces, and they have two modes of stabilization. So you throw the lever forward once, and that's going to stabilize the image. If you turn it off and turn it back on again, that's going to stabilize it even more. And I'm not kidding. It is more stable than if you're glassing from a tripod. It is absolutely incredible. You're going to be able to see stuff at just incredible distances and really break it down. Like you're going to be able to tell the difference between a Billy and a Nanny mountain goat at a mile. You're going to be able to actually see if there's a kicker coming off that four by four muley that just popped up over the hill. They work great at early and last light. They work great at highlight. They fit really well in my hands. Like this was one of the first products that I asked SIG to make when I started working with them. And to no surprise, they were already on it. They were way ahead of me. But this is a really good piece of gear. I highly encourage you look into it. You can go to SIGSour.com. Look for the Zulu 6 HDX. Comes in a few different magnification settings. But the one that I like the best is the 12 power. Check it out. Today's show is about passion and pursuit but it's also about tornadoes. And it seems very fitting 
to uh, to start this with a quote from Tim Samaras. He was uh, an early storm chaser. He changed the game for how tornadoes are understood and predicted. And uh, and this is what he had to say. Keep your focus on your passion in life, in the things you enjoy doing. You'll get there. Trust me. I'm doing it. It's also worth mentioning that that Tim died in a tornado on May 31st, 2013, El Reno, Oklahoma. And dig in and hold on tight because this show is going to make your palms sweaty at times, but hopefully it, it ignites something in you that you can carry on and maybe change your direction a little bit. Okay, I want to start out with the story you told the other day, which is that you got inside of the largest tornado ever. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Tell me the story. Yes. That'd be one of our wildest stories from chasing is that we we're caught inside a tornado and that's not our goal. You know, when we're chasing these stories, we want to get close, but we definitely want to get inside. And, um, but this tornado, we read it a bit wrong and there's unpredictable factors of what we're doing. And so we got too close to this tornado and it just grew so quickly. You know, it went from being a quarter mile wide uh, to eventually being 2.6 miles wide. So the world's largest tornado, like Ripley's, believe it or not, type thing. And um, this tornado uh, was expanding so quickly. We're driving away. We we always have an extra strategy. No matter what, when we're getting into uh, the thick of it, we, yep. uh, as a team, we're always like, okay, what's the extra strategy? Always, yeah. What's that? And so we knew it was the south uh, grid road that we had to go. And so, um, you know, I've been storm chasing for 11 years. My first half of my storm chasing career, I was the driver. That okay. was my job. So I was driving for this. And you, and have, you have a history with, you know, for sort of advanced motor vehicle things. You've done all kinds of racing, driving in a high-stress situation. Sounds like it's right up your alley. For sure. I do feel... Um, I do feel very confident at it. I do yeah. laugh, though. Like, you know, I get pulled onto... Uh, and sometimes we'll do like national interviews with like news organizations, and they're like, "We have Ricky Forbes here, professional driver." And like, <laughs> no, I just have my driver's license. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, but I, you know, anyways, I do feel comfortable behind the wheel. And yes, yeah, so about you know, back to the story, we were the tornado's creeping up on us, getting closer and closer, and the guys I'm with were starting to get pretty rattled. And cause I have my eyes going forward. That's it. But, and, and the tornado's coming from our right hand side and they're telling us, they're telling me it's getting closer, it's getting closer. I can feel the winds rocking the truck, but when the storm chasing with storm chasing, that's not something you necessarily want to get rattled about because those winds can mean many things. You could be beside the tornado or you could be 10 miles away from the tornado. Right. So you don't want to overreact with the winds. Um, but then our ears popped. And um, I actually didn't discover that until that day, but the, the pressure changes inside a tornado. And the reason why it changes, because, you know, these storms that produce tornadoes, um, they're called supercells. And supercells, you know, they can be 40, 50, 70,000 feet tall. And reference-wise, like a plane flies around 35, 40,000 feet. And so the way your ears might pop in an airplane, um, that's, what, that's what's happening. It's bringing that pressure from that airplane height down to the ground. Wow. And so our ears popped. And that's when we knew we were inside the tornado. And uh, at that point, I put us down to the ditch. And, you know, if you're ever in a vehicle in your high winds, uh, it's a better idea to put yourself in the ditch if you can, just so, you know, if those winds get over underneath you and roll you or pick you up altogether. And so we're down in the ditch. We're going along. And uh, at this point, you know, I often get the question, like, uh, were you scared? Well, at first, a large portion of storm chasing is the excitement of it and the adrenaline uh, side of it. Uh, but that point, once our ears popped, it was complete terror. 
And all I could focus on is I just wanted to get out alive. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me wrong, like, as a driver, I should be thinking for my team as well. And uh, but for myself, I was I was 26 years old at the time, and I was like, this isn't this isn't how I go out. And um, yes, yeah, so as I tell you about this, like it's it's tough not to go back to that moment. Like it's uh, it gives me chills, and it was um, it was it was really scary. There's there's homes lifting up. And it felt like a scene out of twist if you've ever seen that movie. Like and you were you were like actually seeing homes get picked up off the ground. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, like uh there's two farm homes beside us, and luckily like we already knew that those homes had been cleared out because we've been hanging around for a little bit knowing the trainer might show up there. Yeah. And so we had stopped by and said, Hey, just so you know, this might happen. And so they had left, but one home got torn to shreds. Uh, but the next home actually like like uh, Wizard of Oz, Dorothy like got picked up and as a whole and slowly rotated up above us and uh, there's farm machinery going up tons and tons of hay bales uh, like like, felt like hundreds of hay bales were just floating around the sky above us and uh and i'll never forget this two-ton green old farm truck was in the ditch right beside us we're going along and as we pull up beside it it starts to lift up and i was like oh this is it yeah we're going next there's no way we're in a half ton ford uh sorry it doesn't matter the truck but we're in a half ton truck and i think it matters (laughs) we're saying (laughs) we're in a ford f-150 and we work with ford uh but we're in this half ton and this two-ton green farm truck starts to go up and yeah it was just i felt like this is it and at this point um it was all happening together like Altogether, we were inside the trainer. Like the footage says, we're inside the trainer for forty-five seconds, but it feels like an hour. Like yeah. when I tell you this, like I remember every detail, and it felt so long. And as this is getting lifted up, we're getting hit with um, steel sheeting from like a must have been a barn or a roof that got ripped apart, and uh, it taken our truck cap off, and we saw that go, and um, it was starting to hit our truck and come into our truck. It taken out our windows. We'd nearly blown all of our windows at this point. The guys are starting to say their goodbyes in the truck, and yeah, it was just. It's a really, it was a really tough experience, and as um, and so, sorry, getting back to the point of stories that we this farm truck is lifted up and i got distracted and i looked over and at the same time we hit an approach and, I, and this ditch we're in was about seven eight feet deep okay. and uh i was i had pedal the metal i have no idea i was fast going but i'm sure it was going you know i'm thinking kilometers being canadian but like uh miles an hour like it had to be going like 80 ish miles an hour and i'm sure it's difficult to even know like which way is getting away from the storm if it's increasing in size that much there's so much chaos in the wind. It, it would be hard to know which way to go. hundred percent. And with storm chasing is once you start getting um, tornadoes that have that kind of energy, they spawn, uh, I forget the term, but like essentially outside tornadoes. Okay. Like, like, like a hurricane might. Like okay. where you get like, um, because, and that did happen inside the storm because we found it afterwards, this tornado uh, was circulating so strong that we got these peripheral tornadoes that were happening. And yes, yeah, so you don't, quite know what you're about to encounter and um yes it was you hit this approach and uh, we launched a truck some height into the i have no idea could have been two three four feet but we came down we didn't end up breaking like the back axle we had in four-wheel drive in the front we were able to carry it out we drove for another few more minutes and that was it and the trainer led up and went the other direction um yeah and the we got out we, we were just shook and after that actually so that was my that was my second year storm chasing, and um, at that point, I believed I was going to do it forever, and I quit storm chasing. That was halfway through the season that year, 
and the season's all long, but I quit storm chasing for that year. Uh, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to lose my life over this. Um, up until that point, we hadn't had a close call. And yeah. then once that happened, I was like, this is, uh, I like to live life on the edge, but I'm not going to lose my life over it. It gets real sometimes and, and kind of gets in your face. And I think a lot of young men develop a sense of, of invincibility. 100%. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you come up against it. It's like, oh, wait, I'm not like, this is real. This could have killed me right then. And what, what would my life be worth if that was the case? Before we deployed, I had all my Marines write their own obituaries uh, so that they, they could think about what they were leaving behind. And, and if, if this next thing was the end of their life, then what would it mean what would their life have 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 been if it were shrunk to a paragraph in a newspaper? And I think that it's important for a lot of people to do that periodically. Like if something ended it right now, what what is the sum total of your life condensed to a paragraph? And if that's not what you want it to be, what are you doing to change that? Mm-hmm. And for you, you know, you were accomplishing incredible things. What I think a lot of people don't understand about about what you do is there's a really important scientific element to that. And you were telling me that the guy that, that Twister was actually based on, uh, he's saved countless lives by increasing the amount of time that people have for warning. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Like that's something that storm chasers did, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, his name was Tim Samaras. He was the, Tim Samaras, he was the Wayne Gretzky, the, the godfather of storm chasing. And, um, you know, he passed away a number of years ago, uh, but he still is the best of the best today. Yeah. Uh, nobody will ever replace that. And, and so what he did to give context with Twister is like, you know, if you watch the movie Twister, they have Dorothy in there that has little nodes that go up and it's measuring, you know, wind pressure, precipitation, wind speed, all these different things, trying to understand the nature of this beast. And, um, he was doing that at that time. And so there was, it was largely based off of a true story uh, with his work. Um, and so it was, it was very admirable, the work that he did. You know, I can't say I'm doing that kind of work. We um, There's not a whole lot of science left to be done. He, uh, mm. be, you know, like I relate a lot to bull riding. Is yeah. that You have a pretty good idea what's going to happen, but you never know all the variables. Right. And that's very much with storm chasing. And so... Tim did figure out the majority of the mix. And there is a few, you know, um, not, I wouldn't call them teams like uh, like university colleges out there trying to find out like that 0.001% more that they can. But, uh, but that's not our initiative. You know, when we are out there, we're giving warnings to the public and we're letting them know. Because when you look at the forecast for weather, you know, it's telling you whether it's raining or snowing. Um, and for us, when those high winds are coming in, if there's going to be circulation up in the atmosphere, but we can tell you real time, is it touching the ground? Yeah. Right? Because they don't know that for sure. And so we can tell you if it's touching the ground, how big it is, where we expect it to go given its nature. And so we're reporting that back to the government agencies, whether it's Canada or the States. And so, um, so do you have a direct line to NOAA? Uh, one of the guys I work with does, okay. I can't say that I do, you know, I do, um, we have, uh, what's called the spotter network. And yeah. so we, um, so I'll talk with local NOAA agencies. Part of me, like yeah. in my head, I, I see NOAA as this, this monster, which is covers the whole state, sure. Uh, but we will talk to local NOAA agencies. So yeah. I do have contacts when I'm in certain areas. I, I wouldn't say it takes a certain level to get there, but it's 
who you know kind of thing. Uh, but nonetheless, it's always whatever we see is going to nine one one. It's going to Noah. Yeah. Uh, anybody, essentially anybody and everybody who will listen to us, we're getting the information out, um, and that's our part in that regard. That's incredibly valuable. Incredibly valuable. Uh, I know a lot of people ask how you get into something like this, and I know it's it's a bit of a worn out question for you, but people want to know, like, what got you into trying to chase down tornadoes? Yeah, you know, James, it's just uh, like failed out of high school, ran out of options, and uh, no, uh, <laughs> it was um, I was bouncing around in life. You know, uh, I had a university degree in finance. I thought I was going to be a stockbroker, and uh, all that taught me is that that's not what I wanted to do. And came out, I was working the rigs, and I was bound. What I did know was I loved the outdoors, yeah, and I love adventures and any venture I could get my hands on, and. Uh, so I was working in the mining industry, oil and gas, and traveling around the world in my time off, doing adventures, doing photography, videography, and um, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what was going to lead me. And then one day having a conversation much like this, a guy I didn't know was like, you know, you should, do, you should come chase a tornado with us. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And Sounds like an adventure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You ever see actually the movie uh, with Jim Carrey called Yes Man? Yeah, that movie changed my life. Okay, up until that movie, I was uh, that movie came out when I was just finishing university, and I was feeling miserable. And I was like, well, growing up, I love the outdoors. Every uh-huh. night we're out, uh, like in Canada, you know, we're out um, stealing snow from the rink to go snowboarding. We're building jumps for our BMXs and our dirt bikes. I just, every night I was outside until dark, and uh, that changed once I got older. I thought I wanted a big house and a fancy car, and I just, I know, I got the wrong goals in mind for me, and. Uh, yeah, and Yes Man came up, and I realized I've been saying no to so many things. And so I started doing that and saying yes to any opportunity that came up. And this tornado conversation came up. I was like, yeah, sure, we'll give it a shot. And I had no idea what to expect. You know, I've seen the movie Twister, but I had no idea that people did it in real life. And, uh, yeah, so spring rolls around. I go out and see, it was 11 years ago, I go out and see my first tornado. Well, hold on. We go out for a week. And out of, so it's eight days, out of the first seven days, we're all blue skies. And storm chasing is largely that. Like, um, you know, we can we can uh, forecast as well as we want, but it's like, I don't know, it's, it's a lot of like baking and it, it takes ingredients. And anyways, seven days goes by, we see nothing. I'm like, storm chasing sucks. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am not coming back. And it was the last day uh, in, in, on this trip I was driving. I got put into the driver's seat uh, and... Um, we were coming through this big hail course, so this blizzard of hail. It's like golf ball size hail. We come out on the other side, and as the hail starts to clear, we see this mile wide tornado. We call it a wedge tornado because it's just it looks like a big wedge coming yeah. into the ground, and it looks like a big drill bit drilling into the ground. And it just, I couldn't comprehend it. You know, I still struggle to this day. It feels like you're seeing something from out of this world. Yeah, it was the feeling of like. You know, if you if you ever scared that growing up there was something in the closet or there's a boogeyman under the bed, it was like looking under the bed and finding out that the boogeyman is real. <laughs> and but you're an adult and you're like, how? It was just hot. Um, yeah, and even to this day we encounter some big ones, and I'm like, I just, I can never take it all in. Yeah, and uh, and I do I do my best I do my best like really because I know I've made those mistakes in the past where I get distracted I'm like no like like fully embrace this moment if it's thirty seconds or if it's a half an hour like I want to feel and be a complete part of it and um, it's always tough anyways so I see this 
this tornado and it's it's drilling into the ground. It's, it kind of feels like an earthquake is rumbling the ground a bit. It, it sounds like a jet engine, like uh, like an airplane. Like a, you got that roar that you can hear the winds. And um, if it wasn't already terrifying enough, it comes across this grove of trees. I'll never forget. And it was just these massive full-grown trees, I don't know, 40, 50 feet tall. And like toothpicks, they just start going up, just whoop, 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 flying off the ground. And uh, it was just, it was at that point, there's so many factors that draw me to it. it, it it's so, uh, absolutely it is destructive, but it, it's so powerful and beautiful and mystic. And you just feel so small beside it. It's like standing beside a mountain and then the mountain started to get up and start walking kind of thing. And, um, after that, um, that's, so that's training went on for about, uh, well, actually training went on for a really long time. The training went on for four hours. It was it, still to this day, it's the longest storm chase I've ever had. Most tornadoes last for, about, I don't know, five minutes, like a half an hour. And, um, but after that we go out for steak dinner it's a tradition with storm chasing. You catch a tornado and, uh, you go out for a steak dinner and I'll sit in that steak dinner or bullshitting and I just. For the first time in my life, and I'm uh, 26 years old at this point, and for the first time in my life, like this is where I was meant to be. And like you know, like there's something in me that's like this is my purpose. And it was a week later, I called home and I quit my job, and I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to chase this dream until I go broke and see what happens next. You know, I was in my 20s, I was single, I was able to do that kind of thing. And so, uh, that, sorry, that's where it all began. Long story short, I mean that. That's amazing. And everyone should be so lucky as to find an experience that gives them that feeling like that, that clarity in that moment that like, oh, th this is it. Like, this is the thing for me. And I think a lot of people experience it on a smaller scale with like, with like food or they'll find it in a relationship and like, they'll just feel that, that love and passion Absolutely. that just washes over them. They're like, this is the person for me. Uh, but to find a, a purpose and and then to find a way to turn that purpose into a profession is is so rare. And, you know, obviously you're still very passionate about it today. What are, I've got so many questions. What are, what are some of the conditions that you look for that tells you not only do we have the conditions that we need to create a tornado, but I also think I know like where I need to be in Kansas or Oklahoma or wherever you're at. Yeah. So 11 years ago when I first started storm chasing, it was a lot of doing our own forecasting and you know, this, um, Noah, uh, has their great storm forecasting as well. But at that point we, um, there was, there was a few times where we would nail the mark and Noah might not. Yep. And, and, uh, and that's not always the case, but it was once in a while. But now, uh, you know, fast forward 11 years the technology with radars and forecasting have come so far. Um, it really makes our forecast, like our own personal forecasting, not needed. Okay, like I can, uh, I can look at Noah's like two week forecast, and ninety eight percent of the time they're going to nail it. And so, so what what are the conditions that you need to create a tornado? It's it's a hot and a cold front coming together. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what you need is you need a you need a very warm day essentially. Now. A typical tornado. There's the, we have other tornadoes called like cold core funnels. Like sometimes up in Canada, we'll get like a tornado like right before snow falls. Okay. And there's no heat around. And and those some different mixes, or you can get like a fire nado where uh, the fire creates its own weather environment for that moment. Yep. Um, but 
in tornado alley, a typical tornado, what you're looking for is throughout the day, we have like daytime heating. So that heating comes down, heats up the ground, and that starts to create airlift. And so that airlift is going up. And what you need is you need wind shear at different levels. And so, you know, at 5,000 feet, the wind's going a certain direction. And then at 7,500 feet, the wind's going a slightly different direction. And so as that's air, that air is lifting off the ground, the wind shear is hitting it and starting to spin it like a top. Okay. And that starts to create that twist. And uh, as long as that air can rise fast enough and be strong enough, because sometimes it starts to rise and doesn't make it. But as long as it's going up uh, fast enough and strong enough, it's going to keep going up into the atmosphere. And, uh, you know, for yourself, for anybody who might be listening to this, when you're looking out and sometimes you see, you might look at a, a set of white clouds and it kind of looks like a, a tower. And that's what we say. It's a tower going up. And it doesn't look like a regular, like, you know, pile of mashed potatoes. It looks like something's going vertical into the atmosphere. That's what's happening is there's circulating air pushing up into the atmosphere. And uh, if you can make it past the thirty to 40,000 mark, that's what we're looking for. And then once it starts to have the, that kind of pressure in the environment, it's going to keep on spinning. And uh, as long as we still have hot air coming from the ground and we still have that wind shear that's happening. And then as the day goes on, we have the jet stream that starts to cut into the mix and it starts to feed into that. Um, and so as long as all that, all those factors there um, are at play and everything is clean and where maybe it cleans like we don't have smoke from fires because smoke can um, uh, diminish all of that. And as long as there's not other storms nearby, yeah. um, because you need clean airflow. Okay. Uh, air, is, uh, air is fuel for these storms. And as long as it has like, like a clean intake, then these storms can build. Um, but yeah, that's the condensed version of what we're looking for in these storms. Gotcha. I've heard things about like the sky turning green. Is that real? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you see these storms, you're going to see blacks, you're going to see blues, you're going to see greens. And so typically, some of the coloring you're going to see inside of storms is, the first thing you're going to see is blues. And so that is the sunlight bouncing off of the rain and the refracting light, pardon me, makes those blues. And then you may start seeing some whites. It's usually what comes next, and that's the hail starting to come out. And so once you start to see that, uh, the white coming out, that's typically hail. And if we see white, you know, you can estimate that's going to be between, you know, pea size hail to like golf ball size hail. Yep. And then once that storm starts to darken up and then eventually go green, that, that just means the hail's getting bigger and bigger. You know, if you see some deep greens inside a storm, there's a good chance that's baseball size hail, like baseball size ice chunks, because it's the sunlight refracting off of those ice chunks that's creating that green color. But that said, if you go and Google what I'm telling you right now, there's lots of arguments for that because the reason is the sun's not always at the same spot. You know, right. sometimes if you know if it's 3 p.m., well, it's coming from directly above, essentially. And you know, if it's 6 p.m., well, now we got or 6 or 7 p.m., we got a setting sun. Uh, but I was it, wondering if there's a specific time of day that tornadoes are most likely. In years past, uh, I, I would have told like um, we always had the idea that. Uh, for us, work started around like 12 p.m., like mm -hmm. uh, noon kind of thing. And um, the heating will happen between noon to about 3 o'clock. And we should be expecting uh, the storms. The storms should pop 2 to 3. We should be seeing a tornado between 3 to 5 o'clock. Okay. And that was the going rate uh, up until about two years ago. And now we're seeing, you know, this year I chased a tornado at 10 a.m. one day. And uh, I've also had many uh, tornadoes happening after midnight. And yeah, now, no, morning tornadoes are quite rare. 
tornadoes throughout the night, especially if you're in the southern states, you know, if we're talking like Alabama or Mississippi, Arkansas, that does happen, but still quite odd. Yeah. But a, a typical tornado in Tornado Alley, if we're talking about that, is that late afternoon. Because it takes that daytime heating to build up the energy for that tornado. Is uh, is the videography and, and photography aspect of this a, a really important thing to you? Yeah, I... Um, if you don't know yet, I love storms. Yeah. And uh, when we're, you know, um, when we talk storm chasing, lots of times the first thing we go to is tornadoes. And, and understandably, uh, but to tell you the truth, tornadoes aren't my favorite part of storm chasing. Okay. Um, tell, tell me more. It, when we get to see these storms, uh, I don't have my phone on me. When we get to see these storms, and for anybody listening, you know, if you, um, if you just go on Google storm chasing, or if you want to go and have a look at the, uh, the work we do, my name is Ricky Forbes. Uh, oh, my phone is here. I'll show you after I explain it, okay. is that these storms, um, sometimes they'll, they'll have the fronts of the storms, like the shelf clouds, or sometimes they turn into what we call motherships. And so they really look like an alien spaceship. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've seen these things that look like alien spaceships that can be covering a town of a thousand people, 2000 people. So, yeah, you know, we're talking like maybe uh, an eighth of a mile, maybe half a mile wide. And they're... They have all these different striations and different coloring happening up there. It's, Is that lenticularis? Uh, no, uh, lenticularis, um, I, might, I might have this a bit wrong, but the lenticularis usually happens like on top of the storm clouds. Okay. It's kind of like bending lightly. Let me show you a photo, and if you can explain it better, you do that. When we get to see things like that right there. Wow. And, uh, and that looks like an atomic explosion without the funnel going to the ground. Exactly. And uh, the, the well, top of the mushroom cloud. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you're listening, if you if you Google like uh, motherships um, with storm chasing, that's typically what will come up. Or like this thing here, this was slowly rotating while it was like dropping from the cloud. And there's nothing dangerous about this. Um, while it can look dangerous. But it, what happens is the storm's starting to spin out. Yeah. And it doesn't have enough energy left for a tornado to happen. And so you just get to see some of the coolest things here, like uh, like this one here. This is, sorry, this is half of it. But like that's in the middle, that is a grain elevator. So a two-story tall uh, building. And this is covering a town of about 1,500 people and it's slowly rotating over top of them. And... That's what I really love about storm chasing. Like these moments, when you get to see these kind of moments, and that does look very alien. Like that looks like the uh, Independence Day, like hundred percent, the sort of cloud formations that they they CGI'd in with that for the alien invasion in Independence Day. It looks like that in real life. So I have to imagine that when you're in that town, you've got to be looking up, just like praying to whoever you pray to that that it doesn't develop more. For sure. You know, when people see this, because um, most people don't know this information, they see this and they think the world's coming to an end. Like that, it looks like a massive tornado is about to it drop to the ground. It looks like a big vacuum is about to drop to the ground and suck it up. And uh, so we, we do our best to get the word out. But sometimes, like that moment I just showed you there, that was a five minute moment. And so we don't have time to warn people for that. Like it goes, it was moving about 60 miles an hour. And so we were doing everything we could to keep in front of it uh, because the truth is when it comes down to it, the way we make an income is photo and video. If we get behind it, it doesn't look like that. We have to stay in front. And so we don't have time to stop and like tell the gas station, like, listen, tell the locals, like, this is what's happening kind of thing. And um, yeah, so for those people, that can be very terrifying. Yeah. 
I, I can't imagine, you know, I live, I live up in the mountains right at the base of, of some mountains. And then 40 miles away is, is the deepest Canyon on the continent. And everybody always said, we can't have tornadoes here because tornadoes can't work with, with steep terrain. Last year we had one right on top of one of our small towns and the damage that, that occurred was mostly from the hail, but they had, they had hail that, you know, was about just a little bit smaller than baseball sized. And it, it didn't last for a tremendous amount of time, but every West facing window in this town of, you know, a thousand people went out, all the siding on that side of the, of the town went out. And when we saw pictures of it, it looked like a funnel cloud. And, you know, they came back and said that it was an F3 tornado in the mountains of Northeast Oregon. Wow. And, uh, I started looking into the history of tornadoes in Oregon and there, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but say there's been 20 in the last hundred years, 10 of those have been in the last 10 years, Interesting. something like that, you know? So it's definitely something that's starting to occur more in that region, um, of lately. And I find that very interesting. And I'm sure that this happens in the Midwest. One of the coolest things about what, what was largely a tragedy for the town the next day, like the whole population of the County was there and you know, they're, they're doing everything that they can to, to fix stuff. And the, you know, the state of Oregon made sure that they could get, get windows there a little bit quicker because windows were back ordered like six months at the time. And, yeah. you know, trying to make sure that everybody was good to go going into winter and, and people have been working extremely hard fixing roofs all summer long. So whenever there is a tragedy like that, you also get to see the best of people later on. And, and I think that's great. We, uh, we got to see that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're here at, uh, at a decked ambassador summit in Stanley, Idaho. So many cool, interesting people. You and I have talked about this over and over again. Like the people that are here as, as ambassadors for this company are just like, they're all at the top of their game at whatever they do. And they've lived such interesting lives as you have. And, you know, we went out and, and did a whitewater trip on the South Fork of the Payette, beautiful section of the river, uh, great whitewater. We had great guides. When we we're on our way back from that, unfortunately, there was an accident on the, on the highway where a gentleman died and his wife was, was hurt really badly. But everybody from this crew found a task to do, like we had, we had people running traffic. We had people rendering first aid. We had, you know, people holding up a tarp so that, you know, this, this woman would be in the shade. And I think that that was a great example of something that was an absolute tragedy. I mean, her, her husband was lying dead on the side of the road. This vehicle was burning, almost starting a forest fire, like listening to the, the propane and everything else blowing up. It, it was a really intense day, but we also got to see lots of people, strangers that were parked on the side of the road. Like everybody got involved and helped it, whatever they could. And, uh, I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. It's seeing, seeing that come out of the, the, those, those hardships, um, but the way that brings people together and, and all of a sudden any preconceived notions, any bitterness, it's all washed away. Yep. And and for that moment, like you're just, you're caring humans doing the right thing. And um, yeah, you know, there's uh, many times a year, 
uh, you'll never see it on uh, in our work as um, I have no interest whatsoever in in documenting the harsh side of storm chasing. But it, the truth is, you know, about fifty percent of the time, tornadoes hit populated areas. And really, and we'll do we do search and rescue, we do first aid, and um, you see that in the, those communities. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 tough. It's just uh, it's got to break your heart. It, it really does. Um, you know, as I even as I start talking, I start my mind starts getting flooded with images, and um, yeah, it's it, it is great how the communities come together. It, it's really tough to handle. You know, um, families get torn apart. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, shoot, man, I, I can't go into a whole lot of detail. It's just it's super tough stuff to see people's lives torn apart like that and to lose loved ones. And um, the end of the best, uh, the best you can do is just to be there and. Um, help them for that point um yeah i'm sure you've seen some acts of just absolute heroism throughout this too do any of those come to mind um yeah yeah like oh, like hundreds you know i would um i would hate to leave anybody out of the mix but like, you know one that pops in mind right away is there was this this tornado that tore through this town of pilgrim nebraska um it was in two, 2014 and we were there on the outside, uh, but at, and it nearly completely leveled the whole town. I think it was a town about two, three thousand people, a smaller town, but uh, very scary tornado. It was an EF four tornado. It was a tornado on a scale, a scale of zero to five, and so EF four that's a big, big, scary tornado. And um, there's a story from this bank there that um, it was rush hour for the bank. They had lots of customers in there and they have lots of staff and this bank manager, you know, I would say he's like in his early seventies, awesome guy, super nice guy down to earth. And I got to meet him afterwards and I spoke with him and his staff. And uh, essentially the story that came out is that they saw this trader coming in and the trader sirens just went off a bit too late. And, and sometimes that happens. And, um, the trader sirens went off a bit too late. And, um, and so they start going through the procedure. Tornado, they have their, their, their procedures. And so they start putting everybody into uh, the safe. Uh, but as they're putting him into the safe, uh, the bank manager, this gentleman, he all of a sudden realized that the bank door could only be locked from the outside. And this was a miss in the training. And as he was like loading everybody in and he realized this, he left himself out on the outside and he locked the door. Uh, put everybody in like this the safe spot for the bank and he went and found an air vent a larger air vent he was able to get his body into and he said about half his body was out and uh, the trainer came right over top leveled the bank actually ended up taking the safe and rolled the safe a few times but everybody was fine inside and he uh, he just remembers like hanging like he somehow found some handholds inside this vent and uh it felt like he said his like his legs were up it felt like a vacuum was trying to suck him out and of course like the roar of this tornado but he got everybody to safety and he made that split second decision that um and he didn't know if he was going to find that air vent like he just Everybody else came first, yeah. and he was sorted out after, and he had less than seconds to find that. And just um, that's badass. You know, in the in the early 1900s, a lot of this area that we're in burned to the ground. Okay, and there were f- so many fires in western Montana, northern Idaho, and eastern Oregon that people thought it was the apocalypse. Yeah, what came of that was the foundation of the U- United States Forest Service, but in uh, in Wallace, Idaho, there was a guy named Ed Pulaski, 
And he was leading a team of guys that were just whatever workers he could find to go to go fight fire. So imagine people with with mining equipment, um, nothing that was fire retardant, you know, guys who are not firefighters going out to to try to fight these fires and, and save these towns. They had a fire burning over the top of them. He knew about a mine and he took all these guys and put them inside this mine and uh and a couple of them wanted to leave like they didn't want to get stuck in there as this fire's ripping over the top of them and ed stood at the mouth of the mine and drew his pistol on these guys to keep him in there he had terrible burns on his body but he was he was able to save these men um the most popular firefighting tool out there to this day is called the pulaski it's an axe on one end and a hoe on the other okay but that's that same exact mentality that that gentleman had at the bank like I'm going to risk everything for myself in order to save these people. And uh, you've, you've just got to love that there are people like that out there, you know, that there used to be, that there still are. That, yeah. that, that character, that strength, uh, that everybody comes first. Like that's the kind of guy that opens the door for others. And um, yeah, really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I bet you've seen some cool lightning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, many stories from over the years. You know, some recent ones. Uh, this past year, I got to see my first case of upwards lightning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we came by, so around 20% of lightning uh, actually starts to the ground and goes up into the atmosphere. And uh, so that was pretty wild. We were by this wind farm, and lightning was coming off of uh, the turbines and going up into the sky. Um, yeah, all sorts of lightning. We've had lightning you know, hit right beside us. Never been hit by lightning uh, before. Uh, shoot, you know, I've never actually been asked that question, so I don't have an answer ready for yeah. you. But uh, no, that's all right. Yeah, uh, I think I think lightning is another another example of nature that can humble you very quickly. For sure, especially if lightning hits close to you. There's no one that takes that with stoicism, like that's a reaction uh you get down to the core of who you are if lightning hits next to you oh yeah that yeah. scares you to be a child again <laughs> yeah when you when that lightning hits and that thunder comes right after it just shakes you yeah 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 Lacey was telling a story about a guy that uh fell off of a tarpon boat and got dragged down by a bull shark another bull shark showed up immediately bit a huge chunk out of this guy and uh you know, the guide went to visit him in the hospital and he's like, shoot, man, I've had lots of worse stuff happen to me. I've been struck by lightning three times. No, three times. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, you know, you might, if you're that kind of person that, uh, that bad luck happens to you, you might yeah. just like walk around with business cards and be like, just so you know, like, this is the kind of human that I am. <laughs> yeah. You should take life insurance out on me. <laughs> yeah. Three times. Yeah, so crazy, crazy stuff. But talk about perspective, right? You're like, oh, it can't get any worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty wild. Uh, let's say somebody's listening to this and they feel like like they have that connection with the concept. Like, man, I want to do that. Uh, obviously, this is a dangerous thing to get into. How does one enter into the the world of storm chasing and do so from an educated and, and safe standpoint so that they can actually grow into it and, and not become part of the problem, but, but can't participate in, in, in what this is. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, um, I meet a lot of people who are interested in into storm chasing and. Uh, Technology has come so far. When I first started storm chasing, we had the specialized computer and we had the subscription to the satellite radar. We were paying like three grand US a month. Now you can get that exact same information for $10 a year as an app on your phone. And this app tells you about hail and lightning and tells you where the tornado is, where the tornado is going. Um, but that accessibility, while it's super awesome and, you know, um, on one side is keeping people safe. On the other hand, if you want to be a storm chaser, that can get you into a lot of trouble quickly Uh because there's so many factors that can go wrong. Uh, one, you know, those radars can lag. Um, they can be off a little bit. There's a lot of experience and intuition that really comes with storm chasing once you get into that, into the heat of the moment. Is that So if you are listening and you're interested in getting into storm chasing 100%, I recommend it. I think it's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> uh, you'll never – the things you get to see, it'll, it'll blow your mind. Yeah. Uh, even to this day, you know, 11 years later uh, – Every day is amazing, and I still – I can tell you 20 times this year, I, I saw things, and I had to put my camera down, and I was like, this is just – I can't believe this is real life. Yeah. And uh, But anyways, if you want to get into storm chasing, is to team up with others. And ideally, team up with those who have been doing it for a while and haven't screwed up too bad. Because um, we are seeing – you know, uh, it's great to see new storm chasers out there, but they're getting into trouble quickly because, um, you know, they're – for example, there's a storm chaser – Storm chasers who like to get really close to tornadoes. And while I told you a story about me getting caught in a tornado, that's not our goal. We're usually staying about a half a mile away, a mile away. Um, there's storm chasers who have who drive tanks, mm-hmm. and they drive right into uh, the middle of a tornado. Yeah. And, um, and there's others trying to follow those footsteps. And that's... Until well, you, which is great until you get hit by a combine. Uh, yeah. You know? or, that, or that tornado sucks you up. And, like, and you're not driving that million-dollar tank. Right. And uh, so... Circling back, if you want to get into it, I would, uh, you know, the way I learned was just YouTube and Googling yeah. and then experience and teaming up with other experienced storm chasers. What's really cool storm chasing, like many industries, is um, it, they're, they're friendly. And if you reach out to them and you start chatting them up, and like I would say, like, I, I would still say the two best ways are like Instagram or Twitter. I would say probably Twitter for reaching out to storm chasers and just starting a conversation with them. Lots of storm chasers often have a seat or two open in their vehicle mm. and uh, just saying, Hey, listen, I'll come and split gas and split hotel costs. And there's a really good chance that they'll let you come out. So that that's the rookie position is just like helping with expenses and being, being willing to help with whatever. Yeah. yeah essentially you're becoming the water boy and that's yeah. how I got into it. You know, that's why I started as a driver uh, and uh, I was just filling a role that they needed. And, um, and most storm chasers, need that because storm chasing does take a team because you're reading roadmaps, you're reading weather, um, you're watching the road. Um, and there's, there's so many different things you need to have your focus on that you need a team to do that. So if you're interested in doing it is uh, teaming up with others until you get your legs underneath you. And um, yeah, and it's, it's again, it's, it's not difficult at all. You just start reaching out to people. And I know many storm chasers that would welcome, you know, uh, a fresh storm chaser coming out. Cool. That's awesome, man. Uh, what advice would you give to your younger self that was watching that first mile, mile wide wedge come out of the sky and drill down into the earth? So my first thought, do it sooner, but it's still something I still, um, struggle with today. And, uh, it comes back to like about chasing your passions and like, and, uh, you know, if, if you're excited to get out of the bed in the morning, 
you're on the right path. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I was 26 at the time and man, I just wish I would have done that when I was 19 years old. And, uh, because I got, uh, for myself, I got lost in this, uh, again, this idea that I wanted this fancy car and this big house and, I was working, I uh, worked many years, many years away and did it, um, yeah, it was not that necessarily it was all for nothing. Um, but yeah, like I, I say, I say to my kids and anybody I meet, like, I know it's, I'm not, I know it's not always easy. And even, you know, like I've been doing it for 11 years, like this year, uh, was barely a break even year for us because yeah. uh, people see it from the outside and they're like, oh, everything must be amazing. Well, no, it's like, I'm working my balls off. Sorry, grandma, but like yeah. I'm, I'm working, uh, some years are really great. Some years aren't. Uh, but, you know, shit, when you come down to it, like I know this sounds like a bit um, preachy, but you got one life. Like I got, you know, for me, I'm 37. I got like 50 years left-ish, I hope. Like I want to live it to the fullest. Because what's what's the point otherwise? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just wish I would have tried it sooner. You know, because I, you grow up here in like this, uh, this is fun, like, Love what you do and never work a day in your life. Right. And up until I started storm chasing, don't get me wrong. You know, like I enjoyed my jobs and, you know, if my past employees were listening, no, I'm kidding. But like, uh, I, wait, I wasn't excited to get out of bed in the morning. Right. And, uh, and I, I couldn't help but think that that, uh, love what you do and never work a day in your life was just a bunch of BS. And, um, yeah, I, I'm so glad I, I kept seeking until I did find that and um and then i don't know it's just uh and i hope for anybody listening and you know and for my younger my younger self is just that um if something does light your fire try it out you never quite know where it's going to take you and you know it's a conversation i don't know if we were having this earlier, but i was having somebody else here today and i find a lot of people very similar in the in around this group here today is that you could, you just got to keep pulling at strings and you never quite know where one opportunity might lead to, you know, like, uh, if you you might start doing something and maybe it's costing you money or you're doing it for free, but you never quite know who you're going to meet or what that might lead to. And, um, that's really what storm chasing has taught me is that, um, you know, we get so, I find like in the North American culture, get addicted to being like, okay, this is step one in my life. This is step two, this is step three. And now I know the rest of my life. Um, you know, if you're willing to take a risk and maybe not know fully what step two might be, it can be a lot of fun and there's a chance it might work out. Yeah. If you just don't quit, then it just might work. hundred percent. And that's it. Like if, if you quit, it definitely won't. Yeah. And and it's really as simple as that. And I'm not saying that like there, there's a lot of people out there that need to quit what they're doing. So I'm not saying that you need to stick with what you're doing forever, but if it is truly that thing that you're passionate about, that gets you excited about getting out of bed in the morning, then you need to stick with that thing. And it's really important. And also starting early, if you're not embarrassed by your first effort at something, you started too late, Mm -hmm. like just get after it. And no matter what, a year from now, if if you work at anything, I don't care what it is. If you work at anything for a year, you're going to be able to look back and be like, man, I was really, really terrible a year ago. I'm still terrible now, but I'm so much less so. And I, I think that, that that perspective only comes after you've stuck with something for long enough to give yourself that perspective. For sure. Yeah, and, um, there's this uh, idea like, there's this quote, hard work always beats talent. And don't get me wrong, like, uh, 
uh, person wants to be talented, but like there's some days I just struggle. And uh, if I keep that in my head, it's like, well, if, I, if I'm willing to put in the sweat, uh, this will pull through. And, yeah. and I do pride myself on, like, if anything, I can be the hardest worker in the room. Yeah. And, um, you know, something else I often hear from people, like, if you're listening to this conversation, you might, be having, you might have an idea in your head that you want to do is, uh, I get the objection of, like, well, somebody's already doing that or somebody's already succeeding at that. There's always room for more. And whoever that person is you're thinking about who is succeeding right now, they thought that too before they got started. That is so true. That is so true. And it's not, it's not a valid reason to not try it something, you know, this humbly, this podcast was very much that way. You know, I'd enjoyed podcasts for a while. I'd enjoyed being a guest on podcasts, but I thought, man, the people that are good at this have been doing this for, for years now. I'm too late. And I thought that for years, for years, I thought I'm too late. And then I got to the point where it's like, well, I'm just going to try it. And, and, and I had good friends who were successful podcasters that said, don't, don't do it. Like just go on other people's shows. Um, that'll, that'll do just as much for you. And they couldn't have been more wrong. And I'm so glad that I did start. I also so wish I would have started earlier. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm happy with it because how else would I have ever got to have a conversation like this? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. And four years ago, anybody in the podcast world would have told you it was too late. Yeah. Like four, and but look where you are now. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's there's always there's always room for more, no yeah. matter the industry. Yeah. yeah. I agree. And uh, and and hard work is something that that anyone can apply. Like that's that is such a critical critical skill. It's a critical talent, really. I I do think that that the ability to work hard is is a talent. But it's something that I do believe anybody can do. And it, if you find that you are unable to work hard, it's probably because you can't fuel what you're doing with passion in the same way that, as we're talking about these tornadoes, they need clean air to be able to, to generate power. The clean air is the passion in this metaphor, right? If, if you've got that passion, then you can generate tremendous power from it if you just do the work. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And you know, if uh, if it's not quite there, then it, it might be something to question. Yeah, maybe this isn't quite the right path. Because I, I truly do believe for any human, like once you find that passion, like there's days that we'll go from like five a.m. till you know way past midnight, and then we'll have to do the same day the next day. Like we're sleeping on a few hours a night for like days and days and days on end, but it never feels like work. And I'm and I'm not lying to you. Like it, it doesn't feel like work, and and I love it. And um, and I really do think like once you do find your passion, it, it, it will light that kind of fire for you. Where can people see all of this? Like everything that you're doing, where, where can they actually see this? Because this is, this is visually stunning stuff. I mean, you're talking about like my hair or what are we talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, you know, the photography and the videos and stuff like that, like that, that's a way that anybody can support you is just by following along and, you know, they can be wildly entertained and, and amazed by, by these images. Yeah. You know, if you head to, um, tornadowatch.com that has all my links on there, or if you just search for Ricky Forbes on yeah. any platform, Ricky Forbes. Um, yeah. If you do check out my, uh, any of my content, please do drop a comment. I find that to be the most support. Like when I get to interact with people yeah. and hear their comments, I'll definitely answer back. 
That's and, fun. And that's, that's free for people to do. Like it, it takes such a minimal effort for someone to support you. And that support might be the thing that makes it so that you can get there to tell a family that, Hey, there's a tornado coming towards your house right Absolutely. now. Um, and, and it really does come down to stuff like that. So I would highly encourage people to follow along in this, uh, because it is, it's mind blowing it. And it's, it's more impressive than when, what, what you've seen on television or on the news or in movies, it, it's so much bigger and more real, uh, the way you're capturing this stuff. I think you've done a tremendous job. Oh, it means a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, uh, and safe travels after the event. Yeah, thank you. Likewise. Appreciate you. Thank you all very much for listening. I'm going to keep bringing you these stories from normal people just like you who have done extraordinary things. Everyone is an expert at something and they have interesting perspectives on life and work and the environment all the things that we care about. I'm going to keep bringing that to you. And I want to thank you so much for making this show possible. I also want to thank Emily Bratcher for producing this show. She does a great job editing. Really appreciate her. I want to thank John Chatelain. He did the art for the Six Ranch podcast. And Celia, soon to be Harlander, uh, she digitized that so that we can get it out there on the internet for you also want to thank Justin Hay for writing this original music and the beautiful whistling that you're listening to right now. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Please keep listening to the show. Write me a review if you feel like it and just keep doing your thing and we'll all learn from this together. It's been fun and you know we're, we're just getting started. <laughs>